Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. These programs are just one of several free services we provide to disseminate information about training for mountain sports. If you like what you hear and want more, please check out our website, uphillathlete.com, where you'll find many articles and our extensive video library on all aspects of training for and accomplishing a variety of mountain goals. You'll also find our forum where you can ask questions of our experts and the community at large. Our email is coach at uphillathlete.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Welcome to another episode of Uphill Athlete Podcast. I'm your host and co-founder of Uphill Athlete, Scott Johnston. And today we have our first repeat guest with Rebecca Dent, who is the Uphill Athlete's um, staff dietitian. Um, Rebecca is the person to whom we refer all of the athletes that are have uh, questions about nutrition and diet, um, and she makes plans for them, consults with them on the phone. Rebecca is based in Chamonix, which is a pretty idyllic place to be living. Um, and so, then today we're going to dive into um, nutrition for the aging mountain athlete. Um, I think that we'll hit on a number of topics that will be interesting for folks. And, um, you know, if we have any um, references or links, they'll be posted in the show notes below. Um, Otherwise, let me get started with Rebecca. Rebecca, welcome. Thanks a lot for joining me again. Thanks for having me back, Scott. I'm looking forward to our conversation around this topic today. Yeah, well, it should be. I, I think we hit on a lot of things that uh, resonated with folks in our first talk, but we certainly still see a great deal of demand and interest on the part of you know, folks, let's say 45, 50 and over, who are wanting to continue fairly high-level pursuits in the mountains um, and extend their, you know, their career essentially. Um, and, and I think that we both know that uh, along with another, other supportive elements like strength and aerobic capacity and technical skills, nutrition provides a really important, um, support for those. And so I think this will be something that people can, can take to the bank with them actually, and you'll figure out how to make this stuff work best for you. But I want to turn this over mostly to you first, and I, I want to hear some more about your background for folks who didn't tune in the first time. Let's um, have people, why don't you give us your uh, credentials and your background, your experience? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll try and keep it brief. Um, I've been a, a dietitian for nearly 20 years and worked in sport, both with the recreational and elite Olympic athlete for nearly 15 years. Um, I'm currently, as you mentioned, based out in the Chamonix Valley. I moved out here um, just shy of three years ago um, as my husband's a mountain guide and he was training, so we moved out. And then um, so 20 years ago, I qualified as a dietitian. I set out um, initially working within the NHS where I um, kind of gained and was experienced in weight management. So helping people who were obese um, lose weight and also supporting those that were going through surgery to lose weight. But I had the um, the real passion for sports since a young age and I knew I wanted to be a sports dietitian since the age of 15 so I spent a couple of years gaining some clinical practice in the NHS had got a master's um, in sports nutrition at Loughborough Uni and then set out um, 
started my career in elite sport at the Scottish Institute of Sport, where I worked with um, Olympic athletes towards the Vancouver Olympics in 2020, which was a real big goal and dream of mine. So once I ticked that box, I kind of um, really had the passion and the drive to work within the outdoor and adventure industry. So I kind of volunteered to work with the GB climbing team back then around 2011 um, and completed my IOC sports nutrition diploma um, at the same time and then kind of started out on this journey working with endurance and ultra endurance and mountaineering athletes which has kind of um, brought me to this day where I can currently specialize working with endurance and adventure-based athletes here in Chamonix and obviously supporting uphill athletes with their training plans towards their mountaineering goals and I've just signed myself up um, for a PhD with Lausanne University looking more into the nutritional influences of fat adaptation so quite um, quite a big list of kind of experiences but it's um, yeah it's been a fantastic journey. And remind people remind me too I mean although I think I know the story pretty well how we got together how that you came in contact yeah. with Steve and myself. Well, I was obviously um, knew of Stephen or his um, mountaineering um, ventures and um, achievements. And I just so happened I was following Steve House on Twitter. And that's when I saw kind of uphill athlete evolve and start out and then obviously bought the training for the new alpinism book and really just saw it as an opportunity um, that I just wanted to connect and potentially partner so that I could support um, your uphill athletes and I just emailed Steve and said hey can I work with you and he emailed me back and said yes which was um, again amazing and I still am really excited to be part of the staff to this day. And we we actually had a face-to-face -face meeting. Uh, oh yes when... we did yeah no we did back well back before the COVID days back it was a good it was about three years ago wasn't it? I attended one. I think one more of... I think it might be four years ago yeah. it was in okay. the uh, September. The mountain store. Please. Yeah, we, um, Steve and I were in Chamonix Valley doing a uh, workshop for mountain athletes and you came to that and we met there and I think we, we hit it off quite well and it's been uh, nonstop ever since. Yeah, it has. Um, yeah, it's been fantastic. Actually, it's been fantastic to kind of be part of the, the evolution of uphill athletes and just supporting the uphill athletes as the, as the, um, the team has grown. So it's fantastic. Well, you've been a key part of that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so let's dive into some of these subjects. And so what are maybe one of the, one of the first or most important lessons, we can go down a list here of things that we could talk about, but what's sort of a big, a really big important lesson that you've taken from your, your experience now working with, with especially older athletes? Yeah, it's a good question. Just as a, a kind of a backstory, really, I turned 41 this year. So this topic is now of even more interest to me to try and apply all of the, the principles that we'll talk about today. And when I moved to Chamonix um, three years ago, as I said, I thought I was fit before we moved here. I'd been training for and completed in a, a 50 kilometer ultra race, which is about 30 miles in the UK. And then I started out ski touring and I hit the, the skin track in Lazouche, which many people might know is quite steep, can get quite steep and icy, but it's a challenging track. And, but again, I thought I was fit. And then at that time, when I first moved, you know, there were people in their fifties and sixties, both women and men passing me. And I thought this was amazing. It was both inspiring, but also it motivated me 
you know, to really want to help to support what we class as the aging athlete and really help people get the most out of their physical activity goals um, and also health with age. So, yeah, one of the biggest, I guess, um, the biggest kind of notes, um, reasons to kind of, well, looking back, oh, Sorry, Scott, I'm kind of waffling on. Sorry, no, I lost okay. my trailer of thought. Um, yeah, so one of the, the first goals I would say about nutrition and the aging athlete is relating to the podcast that you and Steve did on the aging athlete, and that was to never stop. So it's um, trying to always continue to be physically active and continue to build um, muscle mass with age. So that's one of the key things. And I think, as you highlighted in the start of this podcast, that actually nutrition is one of the key supporting mechanisms that will help us kind of mitigate that inevitable decline that we all experience, both in muscle mass and um, our physiology with aging. And, you know, I certainly, you know, I'm well beyond that age where I can live a lifestyle like I did 30 plus years ago or more where I could pretty much eat and drink anything I wanted at any time and still, you know, get up off the couch and go do, you know, extremely demanding things. And now I'm, I'm a little more fragile than that. And I think that that can be a challenge for, especially lifelong athletes. I think it's a challenge for, for all older athletes, but lifelong athletes have this, I mean, I certainly do. And I, when I talk to other older folks like myself that are, are still very active, we have in our brain this feeling of our 25-year-old self. <laughs> and, um, and it's a struggle to connect you know, the, the physical limitations that we are currently dealing with due to our advanced age with that mental picture of what we used to be able to do. And I think it can be really tough for folks to go, oh, well, you know, I just, I can't just, you know, eat a bowl of ice cream every day um, after dinner and, and still maintain, you know, my, my body weight the way I want it to be, or I can't drink, you know, six beers every night or that sort of thing. And I, I think that that's a, a really good point that you've brought up is, you know, while we have to be, you know, it, this, this goes into that, um, one of Steve's and my catchphrases that we use often is, you know, that proper training has, first, it has to be consistent. Second, it has to be progressive. And third, there has to be some modulation from hard to easy in it. But especially this continuity thing, you know, you, you need to maintain this uh, a steady uh, routine. And I think doing that, doing so with, um, Diet is a great way to do it because you have, we've talked about this before, Rebecca, but I I think diet is a support mechanism to maintain health. I I think there are, there certainly there are maybe some, some small dietary hacks that a person could do that might improve performance, but in general, the performance improvements are going to come from the proper training methods and those proper training methods demand good health and good health demands good nutrition. And so I see, you know, diet lying at the bottom of this pyramid of fitness and it's just tricky or trickier. And I think this is something you and I want to talk about is how do we navigate that as we get older? And 
Um, again, part of it is in my case, and I think, like I said, many others is realizing, you know, I'm not 25 years old anymore. And all those things I used to do when I was 25 are probably never going to happen again. The best I can hope for is to kind of slow the decline and you know, maintain my health and fitness as long as I can. Um, and what are the tools that I can use that will allow me to do that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and nutrition um, is anyone is one of them. And as you've mentioned, that we can't get away with just eating um, what we like or not eating a good quality diet to support what we're doing to want to achieve the best that we can in terms of our full fitness ability with aging. I'm seeing more and more kind of uphill athletes coming through who are in their 50s, 60s, looking for um, nutrition to support so that they can optimize those those training gains that they're now putting in place to try and get fitter and get stronger with aging. And there's some really good, neat, easy to implement nutrition strategies that um, I can, I will be sharing today that we can implement to help again, um, offset that um, loss of muscle mass um, with aging, but also um, we can still make training and fitness gains with aging. It's obviously um, relative to our, our age that we're at but actually we can still get fitter and stronger but it's that consistency of training strength training and also consistency of good nutrition and again with all up athletes that come through to me I say give it a couple of weeks one to two weeks and you'll start to see those improvements in potentially body composition um, and also um, strength gains um, recovery better improve recovery which then means um, better quality of effort of training going into the, the next session and all of those small changes that you make over time will be adding up to those um, longer term gains that you're looking for what sort of physiological changes take place as we age can you kind of run down a list of those yeah. and talk yeah. about maybe we don't have to go into right now what we can do to offset those if you want to save that for later we can deal with each one of those individually but but i think just instead of speaking about a general physiological yeah. decline sure. what are some of the specifics that do decline that, that we are that we're going to notice as we age yeah, so in sure, in the terms of aging, we, there is like this involuntary loss in muscle mass referred to as what uh, many of us now hear is called sarcopenia, which in Greek means for loss of flesh. Um, and this starts to happen around the age of 40, 45 onwards um, and the process speeds up around 65, 70 and beyond. So um, it's thought that a person may lose around 3 to 8% per decade of muscle mass and again as I mentioned this decline increases kind of from 65 to 70 but that in that will vary between individuals um you have you might have a 25 year old who sat on the sofa playing video games at home um that's not very active not building much muscle and not very aerobically fit and compare that to a recent client of mine last year who was 62 years of age and competed in the Kona triathlon in October 2019 and did it in under 12 hours who's wow. going to have the greater body composition mm -hmm. yeah it's incredible who, which one of those two will have the greater body composition of muscle mass and the higher VO2 max? So um, even though we have that age-related muscle mass loss, it can be relative to whether you're someone who is um, 
a master athlete compared to someone who's much younger and doesn't do any training at all. Um, so that's one of the, the first major changes is that involuntary loss in muscle so, mass. Which certainly then, one that right, we, yeah. we're, we're going to notice that one. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Both in, the, um, in our performance, our lack of strength, but also, yes. you know, just you can, you'll notice that you, yeah, your muscle mass isn't what it was once before. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you've said, comes with that muscle mass loss comes an associated reduction in strength and our physical performance. And primarily the, mus- the t- muscle fiber type that we're, the lo- we're losing is the type 2 muscle fiber, which is the, that, the one that causes the, um, which is the ability for strength and high intensity um, sports. Yes, exactly. That's certainly something I see with older athletes that I work with and, and certainly myself, because I've been doing this kind of stuff for since I was a kid, um, is what I really see as changing in me is my power. Um, you know, whether it's pulling, and I supposedly, especially notice it in trying to pull hard moves, rock climbing. Uh, a power just isn't there, or is it as accessible? And I have to do I have to spend a lot more time training for power, whether it's, you know, doing hill sprints um, outdoors or, you know, doing hard climbing in a gym, bouldering boulder problems and campusing and that sort of thing. But I, I really have noticed that that's one of the, and I think that's exactly related to what we're talking about here is the, the, certainly the loss of those faster twitch fibers that, that are responsible for those powerful movements. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and again, by adding in some good nutrition and making sure primarily first there's enough protein going into your diet and throughout the day that I'll come on to in terms of um, recommendations, we can actually, um, again, just make sure that we're maximizing whatever muscle mass we have left to work on and to build. Um, what we've also seen in the age-related um, muscle mass loss is that muscle becomes less responsive to that anabolic stimuli. So like you were saying, the climbing power and strength, so from resistance training, those high intensity trainings. Um, but also the muscle um, protein synthesis also becomes less responsive to protein intake. So as we age, we do need to have um, greater intakes of protein again, which I'll come on to. Oh, that's fascinating. I, yeah. I, had, I had no idea. Um, it's good for me because I'm a carnivore. So <laughs> really, yeah, but, great. But I... Um, <laughs> But I, I do think that is quite interesting that, you know, I, that, so you and I both know that oftentimes when protein amounts are given, there can be a difference between protein amount daily intake for an athlete versus a sedentary person. But I had no idea that the, it might actually even increase for the old folks like myself. Yeah. That's, quite, yeah, uh, so- that's helpful to know. I'll give you some numbers and some portion size of proteins that we can, that everybody can start to use. Um, So yeah, just the other kind of physiological effects that happen with aging is that, you know, um, we also experience reduced bone mass. We have weakened cartilage because of the loss in muscle mass. We have an increase in insulin um, resistance and there's also a natural increase in inflammation um, as we age. So again, I'll talk to how, talk through how they are related to nutrition and how, putting in good nutrition strategies can kind of mitigate some of those um, losses. Um, With aging, 
um, and with that subsequent increase in insulin resistance and loss, loss of muscle mass, we, you hear people say, or oh, they have that middle-aged spread or they've gained weight or they now carry weight around the middle. And that is, um, again, relative to how much activity and, and training someone does, but does tend to happen um, if we don't remain active and do strength training and are vigilant with our diet. Yeah. Yep, all all those are um, painfully familiar. I'm afraid. <laughs> um, so, the this, the loss of uh, something I've noticed, and I think is, uh, and I've read a little bit about trying to understand it more, is some loss in elasticity of some of the connective tissue. It seems, you know, I'm not as yep. when I run. I'm, you know, I feel more. I, I used to be quite a good runner. <laughs> When I was younger, I could run some quite fast times. And now I feel more like a plotter. And I just feel like some of it is, I just don't, my legs don't feel as springy as they once did. Does that have probably something to do with that? You know, you were talking about the cartilage and tendons and ligaments becoming, yeah. you know, less supple. Is that, do you think that might be related in some way? Yeah. It, I mean, it's all, it will all be connected in terms of muscle mass um, and yeah, the weakened cartilage and just how um, mechanically and metabolically and biochemically we start to um, decline. Yeah. As we age, so that will all be, it's all interlinked. Um, together in terms of physical activity disuse you know being inactive as well as um you know those natural losses that are happening over time and so what about um one of the things i've noticed again myself and again with others who are older you know, I think it comes from, you know, you were talking about the middle age spread, putting on, beginning to put on you know, fat in places you didn't used to have fat, is that you know, my resting heart rate is not as low as it used to be, even though I'm still quite active. Um, and I, and I, again, I can't eat like I did when I was 25. So I'm guessing that my basal metabolic rate has slowed down substantially. Is that probably a good guess? Yeah, we've seen, again, there's a mixed amount of research in the sense of if, again, you look at um, our general lifestyles as we age, we get busier, we have families, we might have more responsibilities, we might become more sedentary just out of breaking out of a habit of a routine of training, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. So you have kind of a mix of both that loss of muscle mass, which potentially influences our metabolic rate and it slows down as well as kind of the changes in our endocrine hormones that will affect our metabolic rate. But ultimately the two come together. So again, by being active and maintaining that muscle mass, we can support our metabolic rate, but there is still a natural decline in metabolism. So it's trying to, um, again, offset that um, natural decline in how much energy that we just burn um, on a day-to-day basis just at rest. Yeah, and it, it almost seems like I mean, those two things, the decline in loss of muscle mass and general overall fitness and lower basal metabolic rate are linked because if you don't have the capacity, I mean, one, it'd be one thing, some people just won't have the time, as you pointed out earlier, you know, with jobs and family and other responsibilities in life, we usually have less leisure time than we did when we were younger. But we also have less energy 
to go out and, and do yeah. those big days back to back and be super active. That's one of the things I notice is that I just don't seem to be able to handle the volume and intensity of training that I once did that probably gave me the fitness to have a low, really low resting heart rate and, you know, probably a much higher basal metabolic rate, kind of the background resting metabolism. Um, and so I, you know, it's probably a little bit hard to decide, you know, whether the chicken or the egg came first here, um, which one is called because I think they're so closely linked, but it is certainly a phenomenon that I'm familiar with. And I think other aging athletes are too. Um, yeah, absolutely. Matt, yeah. And that um, makes, I think, nutrition even more critical because without that base of support of good nutrition and the health that comes with it, it's going to be even harder to maintain a high level of, uh, of work during, you know, from day to day or week to week, that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and that's, again, when, I, when an upper athlete comes to me and they sign up for a, a, a training plan, the, the first thing that I will look through is kind of um, most often the athlete, upper athletes will come through and want to improve body composition, lower body fat, lose weight. And I will look at kind of their training volume for that day and also their activity levels for that day. So are they sat at a desk? Are we not moving as much? Um, what's what do we what's our movement looking like through the day are we commuting to work during covid a, a lot more of us are, are working from home so our general activity levels day to day are going to be lower which then ultimately will affect our energy expenditure which then ultimately impacts the amount of food we then can or need to eat to maintain body weight so that's the what, first thing i'll kind of look at is where are the extras coming in looking at nutrition intake and really trying to make sure it's good quality are there extra snacks creeping in that are not needed um or what's the portion size of the foods um and again we'll, get, we'll come on to alcohol intake as well and that influence on energy intake so it's trying to match up our now activity levels as we are aging with our nutrition intake so there's often a discrepancy between as we age we slow down but actually we don't adjust our nutrition intake we're still eating what we used to although we're not as active and then with that mismatch comes kind of um increased in body increase in body fat well let's touch on the alcohol issue because i think that's going to be of interest to not just the aging athlete but also other folks listening to this what's your understanding of how how does alcohol fit into one's overall nutrition plan yeah so it's um it's not necessarily something i would regard as healthy unfortunately there are some studies around suggesting maybe a glass of wine or a low a, a low alcohol beer um can potentially be beneficial for health but actually a I've never really recommended anybody to drink a glass of wine. Um, on one of my nutrition plans, it's always the opposite. Um, alcohol, as we know, is, is contains empty calories. There's no nutritional value to alcohol. We tend to drink it for pleasure. We like the taste of it. Beers are becoming more trendy. Um, you know, we like the taste of um, different types of wine from all over the world. And it's often a social occasion um, and potentially, again, through COVID, people may have been drinking more at home. And certainly we see in the aging population, higher intakes of alcohol. With that, more alcohol becomes more energy, which then doesn't help us achieve our um, 
nutrition goals when we're trying to train um, and train well the effects of alcohol itself if we're drinking more than two glasses in one evening are going to have a detrimental effect on our training and recovery um, for the next day so if you're drinking more than two glasses of alcohol in the evening it potentially dampening down your muscle protein recovery so we've seen in studies that alcohol can suppress muscle protein synthesis and also the effects of alcohol it dehydrates us it doesn't make us sleep very well um, it um, has an impact on our muscle glycogen levels again or affecting our ability to get up the next day and put in um, training sessions so explain to me, and I'm, maybe some of our listeners would, would be curious about this. When you say empty calories, what does that mean? I mean, isn't a calorie a calorie? Yeah, it's a good question. So empty calories is referred to wine. How, depending on how large you have that glass of wine, is can be about 200 calories. There's 200 calories that aren't really serving you any purpose. They're not benefiting your health. It's not supporting your training and your recovery. So in that sense, 200 calories from alcohol as opposed to 200 calories from, say, a, a good meal of, um, say, a salmon steak with some vegetables is more nutritious and better for you in terms of recovering your training and your health as opposed to 200 calories that are coming from um, a glass of wine. Okay, great. Yeah, so there's, there's certainly no micronutrients probably. No. <laughs> Maybe in wine there's some micronutrients, I don't know, but I would assume in a, in a glass of vodka there's probably not many micronutrients. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just the, the alcohol itself. Um, okay, so there's a concept that I'm not, haven't been very haven't been familiar with but you've enlightened me that you call neat n-e-a-t could you explain that to the audience yeah so that was kind of what we were kind of um talking about earlier in the sense of um our activity is lower so as we age we tend to move less whether it's because we don't have as much energy anymore to go out and do as much volume in training or as as long a duration of training for that day and also life gets in the way we become busy or we generally just tend to slow down so the 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 importance of non-exercise active thermogenesis so that is basically the non-planned activity that you do during the day so again one of the key things i'll speak to uphill athletes about is do you work are you retired what does the activity your activity levels look like during the day between training sessions many of the Again, the upper athletes I'm working with, the training sessions through the week tend to be sort of for around 45 minutes to an hour and a half. And then you'll have your longer um, sessions at the weekend that can be anything from two hours to four hours, depending on obviously the objective and what you're training towards. And what I'm finding is potentially that people are training for a small amount of time in the day, whether it's a 45 minute, an hour strength muscular endurance session, or whether it's a, an hour's low intensity um, aerobic run then we're sedentary for the rest of the day we're not moving we tend to be either sat at desks or we're homebound at the moment because of um covid or generally we've just slowed down and we're not as active and as busy so then what happens is that that neat so the the non-planned activity reduces our overall 
energy expenditure. So again, it reduces our calorie intake, which is then potentially not what we're compensating for. So in comes maybe a glass of wine, in comes those extra calories coming from portion sizes we haven't adjusted for or extra snacks that we might not need. Although we think we're on a training schedule, we're still not active um, for the rest of that day. Well, you definitely, I'm in that category, I'm afraid. <laughs> so um, then I think, well, all of us, you know, are maybe now with the COVID situation, many, many people find themselves in that situation where it's not as easy to, to get out um, and be moving as much as you'd like. And, and I know for me with um, the uptick in the uphill athlete business, I'm spending a lot more time behind the computer or in front of the computer, I should say, um, than I would like and that I used to. So I have to factor that in for sure. And I, I don't think yes. I've done a particular, as good a job as, as, as could be done. I might need to get on the telephone with you and have you build me a nutrition plan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my pleasure. But it's that, it's that kind of neat, that activity during the day that will keep giving you that, um, giving the aging athlete or any, any of us who are aging, that muscle stimulus up and down stairs. Um, people who don't have stairs that maybe have bungalows or, or, or in apartment blocks on the ground floor. It's trying to find those movements that are still functional as we age, that muscle mass loss translate to loss in both strength, but also functional um, properties. So balance, proprioception, all of those things that are really important for all of us to maintain with aging. So it's really important that for both energy expenditure and burning those calories to also keep um, moving generally throughout the day to again, keep putting in that muscle stimulus in, an, in addition, in above um, what we think is our training session for that day. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think uh, it really, it resonates with me that the idea that, you know, you know, 45 minutes of low intensity training isn't a lot of activity in calorie wise is not a great yeah. deal of activity. I mean, it is benefiting you in terms of, especially for people that are aerobically deficient, which we know many of the people that come to us are, it is moving the needle in the aerobic development category, but it's still not a great caloric expenditure. And I think um, if you feel like you've had a, a major training session and then you should reward yourself with some high calorie snack afterwards that might be completely from a nutrition standpoint um, might be quite defeating to do it that way. Yeah. And that is trying to change that mindset, mindset. Absolutely. That training will be sending you in a direction of progression and consistency over time is certainly going to get you fitter and it's really beneficial, but it's understanding actually the impact, the calorie impact on your day of that um, session isn't going to be high, which then we then doesn't give them an excuse to eat um, what we like after it. Can we touch, let's go back for a moment, if you don't mind and touch on, fasted training we that was what we spent the bulk of our time in our, our first episode with you um discussing and, and if people are interested in learning more about fasted training I, I think that would be a great uh it's a great resource i hope for them and they should go uh check that um, podcast out but how would you say is there or are there any uh changes or adjustments that might be wanted to be made for the aging athlete with regards to fasted training or will they, should we just use the same sorts of, of uh, caveats and um, 
warnings and controls that we put out there for the uh, in the first podcast about fasted training. I, in my experience, I, I've worked with um, aging athletes who are into their 60s. Um, there's a popular, um, a world record-breaking ultra runner, William Sitchell, who's Scottish, who was one of the kind of first ultra-distance athletes that I work with. And he's 66, and he still does fasted training, and um, and he kind of continues to do that. He has a very good diet, and he also does the strength training. So, and I've also seen. Um, another athlete come to me who's in his 60s and has always been inadvertently been doing his morning runs before breakfast and he still does his morning runs before breakfast and he was just doing that because it was easier and I've not seen any detrimental effects I would potentially caution against people who start out doing the fasted sessions when they're kind of at the point where we class as an aging athlete so maybe into 50s and 60s you know deciding to all of a sudden do the fasted sessions and maybe start slowly and gently but from the athletes that I've worked with and the master athletes I've worked with who've come from a background of having always done this type of sessions they still respond really well and they are really very well extremely adaptated I'm not sure if that's been your experience Scott it is exactly. So I'm glad to hear that I'm not alone in that. Um, and I, I want to emphasize one thing before I talk about my, my own experience, although it's just anecdotal, like these things you've mentioned. Um, and that is that when we spoke the first time about fasted training, we did put boundaries and parameters on it. And we um, strongly recommended that a person gradually introduce this into their training and they don't just jump in to the deep end of the pool immediately and try to go out there and run six hours in the mountains without having eaten anything for 16 hours or something i mean and so we were trying to make it um i think we were trying to explain the benefits of certainly that was our intent to explain the the benefits of um the, what, what can happen when a person utilizes fasted training in an in, in, in intelligent manner with these sort of boundaries and conditions and say, okay, these are the kinds of things we've seen anecdotally, you know, and I've been using this training on myself and others for 30 years. And so I have a lot of anecdotal evidence to support some of the things we talk about but and we've learned some valuable lessons. I mean, you know, as we pointed out last time we talked, you know, for some people, an hour well, once a week of fasted low intensity exercise might be stretching it. Even it might be a really tough load for them. And on the other hand, we have you know, you and I both have experience working with very high level, very well fat adapted athletes that can literally go out for three or four hour run. Uh, on in a fasted state and come back and not even be very hungry. And so I think it's really important for people to understand that this is not, it's not always like most training uh, recommendations that they would find from us. It's not a one size fits all. There definitely are benefits. And I think they, in my experience, they run the full spectrum of age. Uh, I don't, I haven't seen any diminution in the effect with older athletes um, and I certainly have maintained that in my life for you know decades now of doing several 
fasted uh, low intensity sessions in a week. Um, I'm, I'm a, I kind of stumbled into it the same way you were talking about this um, ultra runner who just, it's, it's convenient to go out in the, in the morning before. It's kind of hard to run very much on a, a full stomach. And so I, that's how I stumbled into this was, oh, it's easier to just go out and run on an empty stomach. And then I would notice that as long as the, the energy demands were not super high, I was capable of handling a fairly high volume of, of uh, that low intensity type work without any drop off in performance or, uh, you know, massive cravings and hunger afterwards. And so I'm relieved to hear that other, you've seen that exact same thing that, uh, and, and so I would, again, with all the cautions that we put forth in our first uh, recorded podcast about this, I would, my experience would be that there's really no, no reason that somebody in that older uh, athlete age group couldn't benefit similarly to a young person. No, absolutely. And I guess it, it would be, it's this, as I would say, you know, it's just reflecting back on your own training and feelings of fatigue and recovery. Again, when an athlete comes to me, I, I ask them about recovery and how well recovered do you feel after each training session? And it's just reflecting back on that and if you're adding in fasted training sessions then recover well and just take a note of your recovery through each day and through the week um, and just respond to those changes of perceived effort and, and perceived feelings of fatigue. I think that we uphill athlete like to have some hard data and some numbers and metrics that we can use to to track athletes uh, improvement in fitness and that sort of thing. But we definitely, and I think this might have been misconstrued by people in the past. We're also very big believers in the subjective feelings. You know, how, how do you, how does it feel? Like you just pointed out, are you recovering? Do you feel the kind of energy levels you think you should have the next morning? If you did a big fasted workout the day before, if not, you're not recovering well from that. And you either you didn't eat enough after or you went a little too long or too fast and that sort of thing. Then it's delayed your recovery. Because as we mentioned again in that first podcast about fasted training, there's always almost always going to be some kind of a trade-off of fat adaptation versus recovery. I mean, if you wanted to take it to an extreme, you would go and do this three-hour run, and then you might not even eat for several hours afterwards. And that's going to trigger a big adaptation to fat um, utilization by your body. But it's also going to have a very dramatic effect on your ability to, to recover and do a similar training session again uh, soon, the next day even. And um, so I think that it's important to understand there's almost always going to be some kind of trade-off. If, uh, if you do a fasted workout, you need to expect that it might take you longer to recover from that and all the more important to have good nutrition between these fasted workouts. Um, and so we, we want to emphasize that while data, heart rate, GPS data, how far you ran, how fast you ran, how much vertical you did, those are all very handy metrics for us. And they, they really help, um, especially in remote coaching, they help us um, look at what the athlete did. But one of the key things we're looking for in the co athletes that we coach is how did they feel? What were their subjective feelings, their perceived exertion? Were they you know, legs heavy and tired? 
and and so it's important to combine both that hard data, objective data, and the subjective. And I think what you were just saying about you know how did you feel the next day, um, and tuning in to your body and not being let's say a slave to the training plan, so that it's a, you know oh boy I'm really tired today my legs are really heavy, <clears throat> probably because you didn't refuel well after that last workout. Um, but I, but the plan says I'm supposed to go out and do hill sprints or intervals or something today, knowing that or being aware of how your body's handling the training and, and being tuned into what the little subtle signals that our bodies often give us that we ignore can make a, make a difference between success and failure when it comes to, um, you know, how, how the plan works for you, how your training is, is actually benefiting you, or in some cases, is your training just making you tired, but not making you fit? Um, and so I think that, again, I'm just trying to emphasize that numbers are one thing, but the subjective feeling is very, very important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And on that recovery, actually, and just to, to kind of move, um, just to do to go back to protein intakes, if I can, actually, on whilst you were talking about fatigue and recovery and, and be taking note of that, again, when I have, Upper athletes come to me I'm asking them about recovery but also then the one thing that I then go and do is look at protein intakes and how much protein that they're having and both at each meal and throughout the day and what's common is that we all fall short of protein at breakfast we don't tend to eat enough and then it's the timing of protein that's spread throughout the day where actually if by improving that and making sure there's enough each meal then actually that can have a really big influence on both our recovery from training and our energy levels um, and our gains muscle mass gains from that strength um, session so as I said earlier kind of the what happens in the aging process is that um, the muscle has a blunted response to muscle protein synthesis with protein intake so that simply means that we need to eat a bit more protein as we age to get the, the same stimulus response as we were when we maybe have been 25 so the recommendations are so for the general population in the US and in the UK, they recommend about 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. But actually, for upper athletes, I would suggest 1.4 grams per day. And the recommendations in the literature is also suggesting that for master athletes, so people who are still competing on a, a regular basis and training regularly with aging, then we need around 1.6 to 2 grams of protein per kilogram of body mass per day. And what that looks like is a 60 kilogram female who's competing and training on a regular basis will need around 85 to 95 grams of protein per day. And a 70 kilogram male athlete competing on a regular basis will need around 100 to 110 grams of protein per day. And it's, it's about splitting that daily protein intake per meal so looking at around 0.4 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day so for that same female it's about 25 grams of protein per day and for the male it's 30 grams of protein per day but what that looks like in food sources is that around a four ounce steak at uh, four ounce yeah a four ounce steak is about 25 to 30 grams of protein and a four ounce chicken breast is about 20 to 25 grams um, of protein so it's your standard portions of fish and chicken and um steaks that we tend to give you enough um 
protein per meal. But what actually we need to focus on is both timing. So having that portion spread between four to five, four to five meals per day, but also looking at breakfast time and making sure there's a minimum of 20 grams of protein going in at breakfast. Because often we'll just have toast and jam or cereal with milk or um, potentially nothing at all so um, yeah it's looking at your daily protein intakes where you can add more so that you're meeting your requirements to make sure that you're optimizing your ability to build muscle mass with aging I have two questions for you with regard to that and but maybe one question and one comment the first is the comment that well, since we're just off of the subject of fasted training, I think we want to be clear that fasted training doesn't mean you're reducing your caloric intake from a day-to-day basis, that you're still, you still need to take in those calories and the, the numbers of grams of, of carbohydrates and protein and fat. You're just shifting the time scale. And that can be a challenge for folks because if you're, if you're doing this fasted training, and you're out for your morning run, um, it can put a crimp in your style or crimp in your timetable in terms of when do you eat if you've got to get to work. And, and so I think people will have to be a little more creative when it comes to making sure they're getting enough calories. I mean, this, when we're talking about fasted training, we're, we are not talking about necessarily, there might be some weight loss benefits of losing some fat that come with this, but we're definitely not talking about a weight loss program here where we're trying to reduce calories for people. Um, and so I think that would be one distinction. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's about um, making sure that the calories are going in to support the recovery so that actually you're refueling and recovering well from that fasted training. And it's un- get it, encouraging people to understand that actually fat adaptation is not fat loss. They're two different um, processes and two different dietary methods. And um, fat adaptation is simply getting your body to use more fat as a fuel source where fat loss is helping someone to lose body fat and um, body weight. So yeah, they are two totally different things. And again, as I mentioned about the the protein intakes, because, you know, it's about that's when it can be a challenge or we need to really pay particular attention to our nutrition intake to make sure that both protein, the carbohydrate and the fats are going in as food and good quality food to meet your calorie requirements to support all of your training processes. So are there there any, what would happen if a person ate too much protein in a day? Let's say they want to make sure they're getting enough and they want to, so they're going to tend to, or they're going to try to err on the, the, the too much side. What, is there a downside to that? Is there a problem with that for folks? We've, they've, we've seen in the research that there's no kind of detrimental effects to health in consuming higher quantities of protein through the day, unless we're someone with pre-existing kidney problems or diabetes. That's potentially when you'd be cautious for people um, who with higher protein intakes. But if we just try to eat more protein, protein is one of the most satiating foods that we can eat. So it would, it would probably fill us up quicker than the quantity that we could manage to eat. So we'd probably have a natural off button anyway, which is why the, the diets like the Atkins diet and the keto diet um, most often produce weight loss results is because they contain a high proportion of protein um, within that. And often um, that's what is filling us up and keeping us feeling 
fuller for longer. So people can potentially try to eat more protein, but the challenge comes is that actually it'll come at a detriment of the other good nutrients that we need to get in to support training and aging. Um, and it would be a challenge to eat that much. Um, but there's no detrimental um, okay. health effects. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm relieved. <laughs> um, so let's move on to um, injuries because that's something that comes with the territory when you get older you start if you're getting if you're in this age group and you're still trying to maintain you know very active lifestyle you know training for climbing running skiing whatever it is you're more likely i think my experience to either induce some kind of an injury or you're dealing with an injury that you've, you know, kind of been pestered by for decades. You know, maybe you had, you know, a ski accident 30 years ago and had knee surgery and, and you managed to get by quite well and continue to ski and run and do all these things in your thirties and forties. And now all of a sudden you're in your mid or late fifties, you're thinking, boy, that knee is still, that knee is giving me all kinds of problems now. And it hasn't bothered me for, for decades. Um, so injuries, I think, just come either collectively or they are uh, incumbent with the aging um, situation. So how can diet or nutrition play a role in helping us with either preventing or just managing them? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great question. It, again, it depends on the injury, whether it's kind of a joint, whether it's cartilage, whether it's a previous fracture, whether it's a, a strain, um, whether it's just pain, aches from previous injuries that haven't fully recovered or surgery. So it depends on the injury and the length of the injury has been sustained and whether it's just something long-term you're having to deal with. But in terms of the nutrition, it's looking at, again, making sure that we're eating to meet our energy requirements or if we are carrying the extra weight, then potentially losing some body fat so we're within a healthy weight to take some strain and pressure off that injury site would be helpful. The other important aspect would be making sure there's protein going in through the day to help that injured site if it's a cartilage and knee injury previous surgeries again just to support the both the muscle mass um, around that site of injury to support the injury the structure and the function of that joint so again making sure there's enough protein and some of the um, supplements that can help would be potentially um, vitamin d3 possibly calcium depending on if you're eating enough calcium or dairy foods in the diet more people are turning to vegan and vegetarianism so again it's making sure that as we age i've mentioned that bone mass decreases so it's supporting that both with vitamin d3 supplementation because again as we age our ability to absorb um d2 in the skin to convert to the functional d3 that we need is reduced with aging so whether it's having a supportive D3, potentially calcium supplement in there for our bones and bone health. Um, and also looking at uh, omega-3s for anti-inflammatory properties. We've got collagen support, potentially supporting our cartilage and ligaments. Um, there's also glucosamine, which is potentially beneficial for knee joints and knee pain. And again, these are kind of ones to try one at a time. Don't try and throw everything at the, the injury, try and be a bit strategic with your approach, eyeing out your day-to-day. -day. It's really important that we get plenty of fruit and vegetables in on a daily basis. It's a really, it's, 
people find a tired message, I think, eating your five plus portions of fruit and veg a day. But as we age, and as I'd mentioned, there's a natural increase in inflammation. And then when you're training in to- on top of that and potentially have an injury or niggle, then these fruit and vegetables are high in anti-inflammatory properties. So it's making sure you're getting plenty of fruit and veg in daily, green leafy veg particularly, and your berries because they're really high in antioxidants. So again, that can help with the anti-inflammatory process of an injury as well as the anti-inflammatory inflammatory process with aging and recovery from training. And then you've got, um, yes, yeah, so the collagen. And then the other ones would be potentially... Um, creatine which could be helpful for rebuilding muscle mass after an injury particularly as we age we've seen that a low dose supplement of creatine can help both with lean mass so muscle mass gains and strength so the function of the muscle um, with the aging process so all of these things can help combat both injuries and the aging process but again it's being strategic with them um, and when and where we put them into our diet. That's a great advice. Thank you for that. Um, I want to clarify something I realized when we first started this and I said that I'm a carnivore. I'm not a carnivore. Um, and because I thought <laughs> I'm going to hear about this from people. Um, I mean, I don't have anything against carnivores. I know there are, I even know some who perform quite well on that kind of a diet. But no, I'm more in the, I guess, what you would call the paleo diet type of a diet, Atkins type diet. So I just want to let people know I'd eat lots of vegetables and fruit. And, um, <laughs> but then the, the other thing is that um, I, what I, people will often ask me about introducing some new thing into their lifestyle, whether it's a training intervention, meaning, you know, I'm going to try this sort of type of training. We've already talked about fasted training would qualify as one of these, what, what are termed training interventions. Um, and I would categorize supplements in the same way in that it's, it can be fairly, I think it's quite illuminating and it can be fairly simple for a person to do an experiment on themselves. So yeah, eat, try low dose of creatine for a few couple of weeks and see if it helps you recover faster. See if you feel stronger from that. Likewise with some of these other things it, and I think it's easier to do it, to do that, what you were just suggesting, do one change at a time. So you're not, then you can recognize the cause and effect. But I think it's often easier to do that is, okay, go out and try those hill sprints for a few weeks and see what happens, or go try some fasted training for a few weeks and see how it works for you. Um, easier to we, we, you and I, and, and a lot of the coaches, they're all the coaches that work with us. You know, we have a great deal of anecdotal experiment, experience with this, but there's no better way to prove whether it works for you or doesn't work for you than to actually give it a try. Just do it in an intelligent way and, you know, and don't go changing too many variables at one time or you won't have any idea. Was it the D, the vitamin D3 that you, you know, increased or was it the, you know, the creatine or the protein powder you were taking or something else. Um, and I think that that's a, I'm, I encourage people to do little experiments like that on themselves from time to time, just so that they understand how their body responds to this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I would agree. And, and I would encourage people to, to do that. The, all of the supplements I suggested are backed by good sound evidence with um, no side effects, unless you already have pre-existing medical conditions, then obviously um, consult your GP or a qualified 
nutritionist or dietitian first before you embark on any of these supplements and doses. But the other thing I would encourage is, as you were saying, Scott, is iron out the day-to-day first. Look at your protein intakes. Make sure there's enough protein in each meal. Are you getting your five portions of fruit and veg a day? Are you recovering? Are you putting in your training consistently over time? Make these small, kind of pick the low-hanging fruit changes to really make sure that your day-to-day training and nutrition is consistent and solid. And then you can start to experiment with the different training modalities or with the nutrition supplements because you know everything else is consistent and stable and you know how you feel and how you're responding to those changes and that good solid base and then put in you know the creatine or the omega-3 or the the glucosamine those different supplements have different durations of time to um, act and wash out but you can still certainly try them and people generally tend to say to me oh I've tried this or I added in more protein after my recovery and I I feel like I've got more energy or I'm not feeling as tired after that session so there's certainly um, lots of benefits to testing these different um, nutrition strategies out. Yeah, I I would 100% agree with that, and I'm I'm glad you're on the same page as me. It makes I don't feel like the lone ranger out here saying stuff like that, and having to you know not having anybody else in my camp. I kind of feel more comfortable when other people have a similar anecdotal evidence like I've seen. Um, when it comes to things like uh, these you know adjustments that we're making. I, I want to reemphasize or jump on your bandwagon with you about the fact that m- most people don't necessarily need to be fine tuning and tweaking, uh, you know, like how much vitamin D3 they're taking. I mean, that, not that that's a bad thing to take as a supplement, but if you're looking to maximize your performance, the first and most important thing you need to do is the basic stuff. Like you were saying, getting enough protein, are you getting enough sleep, um, cutting out the alcohol, doing the, the, uh, an appropriate training volume and an appropriate training intensity, doing the strength work, doing these on a consistent basis will get you 95 or 98% of the way there. Uh, you know, having worked in you as both of us have with Olympic athletes, I can say with quite, in my experience, with a very, I have a strong opinion about this, and that is that those people have all of those bases covered before they start looking at, you know, whether it's using some sort of, you know, simulated altitude or um, taking creatine, um, doing some of these other things that, that I would consider maybe those are going to make, you know, a couple of tenths of percent performance improvements for them um but they've got all the basic stuff already very well covered so they they have to be looking for some you know that the low-hanging fruit has already been picked for those athletes and for them trying to find you know a couple of percent performance increase can mean the difference between winning and you know second or third place in a race and so i think it's quite appropriate at the elite level for people to be wanting to experiment with and try um, you know, little tweaks like this to their to their uh, nutrition and training plans, but I think it can also be a mistake to look at let's say what an Olympian is doing and saying oh they're taking this supplement or they're using this type of uh, running shoe or whatever it is and think oh that must be what makes them 
as, as successful as they are. And no, no, that's not what makes them that successful. It's the 15 years of hard work that they've put in to get to this point that allows them to say that, oh, if I, if I were to change this to my, this other type, type of running shoe, I might see, you know, two seconds per mile improvement in my pace because that two seconds per mile is going to be a huge, you know, that's going to an easy or, or that's something that's going to be very hard for them to get through fitness because they're already so highly fit. And so I want to just put that out there that I, I, we do get folks coming to us from time to time that are not doing the basics at all. They don't have the basis covered. They haven't been putting in the time for years and years, but they want to jump right to these kind of sexy silver bullet type fixes and think that, well, I'm just going to go ketogenic diet and that's going to make me, and I'm, I'm going to be a Killian Jornet overnight if I do that. And I think that can be, a, it's a, alluring because it sounds rather simple and it's a lot easier to, to take a pill or buy a pair of shoes than it is to go out there and put in the 20 hours a week of training that would need it to be, to, to get you to that fitness level. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I would up the, my percentage of the people that come through that aren't necessarily doing those, I would, as you would refer as to the basics, and I would say 80 to 90% of the uphill athletes I see are not doing the basics and doing them well. And, you know, by simply making those changes, there are gains there, easy gains to be made that are really going to transform potentially transform your training and if you are at that top end where you are um, wanting to to have those seconds shaved off or make a difference between um, podium position first and third then yeah that's when as you quite rightly said we'll we'll look at the the nitty-gritty and the the minute details but actually for the majority of us we just need to be doing the basics and do them well consistently over time. And I had a conversation um, just this winter, actually, with the British ski team coach. We have a fairly good downhill um, slalom and downhill skier, a male athlete, um, despite our lack of snow in the UK. And I simply said to him, I said, what are your secrets to nutrition? What are you doing in the sense of helping him achieve his goals and his performance? And he just said, Beth, you know, the, the one thing that we do is we do the basics and we do them well, was his answer, his instant answer mm -hmm. in terms of his nutrition. And so whatever level we're at, that's where we need to start. And then once you're there, you then, then can um, go on to make these additional tweaks that, uh, yeah, might you know, mean that you do see a gain, a small gain, but you see another gain. But then that's when you can go on to that when you're doing the basics more often and consistently. Great. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. I think that's a message that needs to be driven home in the general public's uh, mind in, or the general athlete's mind is that just because, you know, Iliad Kipchoge runs in these shoes or eats you know a traditional kenyan diet those are not the keys to his success <laughs> and and following you know jumping into you know i'm going to buy those shoes or i'm going to eat uh the, i can't remember what the name of that sort of tuber or root vegetable that is really popular in kenya but i've heard people say well that must be why Iliad kipchoge can run under two hours for a marathon well and that's highly just doubtful that that's what's making him run under two hours um and I can certainly say that with all the athlete, all the Olympic athletes and the high level athletes that I've worked with, you know, including you know, world championship podium finishers and um, none of them have used extraordinarily 
challenging or difficult dietary you know, tweaks. They just do all the basic things you've been talking about and, you know, eat a, a healthy, clean diet and get plenty of protein. Um, and that supports their training and the training is what's going to allow them to perform as well as they do. Well, I think I've, I've beat that horse enough. Maybe we, have to, maybe we can move on. Um, so let's, I know we should probably start wrap, thinking about wrapping this up before too long, but let's, I want to hear about the mentality aspect of this, the mindset, the psychology, and how that can relate to things like illness and um, maintaining high levels of fitness as we age. Yeah, I mean, I again, I'm more and more in my practice, both in my business here and working with Uphill Athlete. I'm having, um, it's exciting because I'm uh, when. Uh, aging athlete contacts me and they're, they're telling me these big adventures that they they want to go on and for example um i had a um, an aging i say an aging athlete a 60 year old who'd always run and been active all his life and diagnosed with parkinson's age um, was 60 and wanted wants to run the length of the uk i've got other athletes who are in their 50s and 60s still wanting to push the grades climbing they want to you know do eight a's um and a recent client of mine who's for his 60th year wants to do a sub three hour marathon and and they're kind of looking for that goal and that determination and they really have a mental focus and drive to keep pushing the goal pushing the boundaries and seeing what they're capable of Um, an uphill athlete who I'm currently working with who is 57 um he came to me looking for nutrition support because of poor recovery and wasn't making the strength gains that he felt he should have embarked recently on a new strength training plan. I think, Scott, you worked with him. Um, he was trying to, out of curiosity, see how well he could get on or how far he could do with push-up, uh, pull-ups. Um, was setting out to kind of, just out of curiosity, see how well he could do with pull-ups and see where his strength um, would take him because again he hadn't enlisted on any consistent strength training and we know that physical activity and training um, supports our mental health and cognition with aging so being curious having that mental focus being physically active and throwing in the good nutrition so protein's important for brain health good fruit amount of fruit and vegetables being the anti-inflammatories your omega-3s for brain health couple that all together and Again, we can continue achieving our goals, whatever they may be as we age. So I think being curious and having that mental mindset of um, never stopping and, and continuing is, is going to set us in a, a good start for um, everyone who, who hits the aging process at some point. With, with regards to illness, um, would, you, would you recommend, I mean, maybe this is applicable to all ages, but immune system supports of some type uh, in terms of supplementation what do you what's your feelings on that yeah and again immunity and immune dysfunction again as we age is something that we see we're just not able as as able um, to fight infection as we were when we were younger which is what we're seeing in covid you know the elderly population people over than 70 are kind of being deemed at risk again for that simple matter that as we age our immune system is compromised and doesn't function as as well and for immunity and supplements again i would go with fruit and veg antioxidants um 
anti-inflammatory foods are nuts and seeds. Um, our immune system is made up of protein and fat. So it's important to make sure that you're getting these good quality foods from protein um, and good your mono and poly, polyunsaturated fats with aging supplements. Um, I'm just trying to think there's turmeric potentially again as an anti-inflammatory, but not necessary immunity. Vitamin D has been linked strongly to immune status. And again, I'd encourage people who are spending quite a bit of time indoors. Um, we live in maybe in the Northern hemisphere, maybe in the UK where there's not much sunshine um, to get your vitamin D three levels checked and then supplement accordingly. Um, and that has strong evidence linked to immunity. Again, as I said, omega threes um, linked to immunity and kind of your food first approach in terms of plenty of fruit and vegetables great okay well so um, again i'm, I'm you're confirming some of my preconceived notions so i'm glad um well can we wrap this up with you giving us some general i mean you you have all through this given us general recommendations but some kind of practical strategies that people can implement for themselves uh, yeah, sure. So if you're someone that's kind of training regularly and experience really wants to find out if you are um, someone that needs to make changes in your diet, take a food diary, um, keep a food diet to two to three days, have a look at what you're already doing, see what's already there um, see what you're doing well and see where you might need to start adding in in nutrients or foods like are you getting enough protein at your breakfast? Are you recovering with enough protein? Um, and again, with the aging athlete, if you're training on a regular basis, you might benefit from a pre-bed protein intake, whether that comes from a protein supplement, whether it's whey protein or a plant-based one, whether it's a simply a pot of Greek yogurt before you go to bed, that can all help with recovery. So look at where you can make easy changes. And we, you first need to understand what you're doing or what you're not doing before you can then add in the basics that you're not doing and add in these um, simple nutrition strategies that again are going to make some um, are going to be really beneficial for you so keep a food diary check breakfast are you eating enough protein at breakfast are you eating your five plus portions of fruit and veg one portion is 80 grams which is about three ounces um, so are you having that are you eating plenty of green leafy veg daily and berries you're having a serving of green leafy veg and berries daily and then um, once you've kind of ironed that out, look at your intake around your training. Are you recovering? Are you eating enough carbohydrate or, or do you need to reduce your alcohol intake? So just start to look at what you're doing and make those um, small changes over time. Those sound like they shouldn't be that hard to implement, don't, do they? They, they, it seems like that's pretty simple stuff for most of us to to start dialing in, especially before we go too deeply down the rabbit hole um, of you know getting crazy with you know, trying to make tiny little tweaks. So um, I got some great advice. Thank you very much. Um, anything else that we haven't covered yet that you would like to to bring up? No, the only thing I, I kind of like to say in summary is that when I worked in the NHS, I would see a lot of outpatients and people coming in and, and they just were, they seemed to accept that they were old and they, we were going to get sick. As you get old, we get sick and it's happened to me. This has happened to me. I've just got old and I've got sick and I've got pain and I've got arthritis. And, you know, some of these things we, you know, genetics will 
lend themselves, unfortunately, that we will pick up some ill health potentially, but we can really take control of it and we don't have to get old and sick. We can get older and stronger and fitter and really live um, a longer, healthier life. So just by implementing some of these key um, strategies that we've talked through in this podcast, whether it's training, definitely strength training, never stopping and putting in all the good nutrition practices, um, I can't encourage people enough how far that will go um, in supporting both um, training, your mountaineering objectives, and also um, sustaining our long-term health. Great. Thank you. That was perfect. That, I think that is exactly a great message to end on. Um, I, I want to encourage folks that are interested in getting in contact with Rebecca to look on our website. You can read about her under our coaches tab there will be a section that gives more on her bio there and if you're interested in a telephone consultation with rebecca you can go into our shop or the store on our website and uh, sign up for a nutrition consult with rebecca we have a regular phone consult product and we also have a rebecca phone consult product so be sure you sign up for the right one and if you're interested in going straight to um, a nutrition plan with Rebecca, if you go to um, the coaching tab on our website and scroll down that page a little ways, you will find um, a place where you can sign up for a nutrition plan with Rebecca. Um, well, thanks so much, Rebecca, for joining me today. It's been great to talk to you again, and I've certainly learned a bunch. Um, and perhaps we'll do this again sometime soon. Great. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And, and all of the listeners, thanks for tuning in and um, we'll join us next time for our next podcast. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about what we do, please go to our website, uphillathlete.com.